0: House,
1: let me hear your bar, let me see your bite, let me see your scars. you know what we're about, don't see us in the yard. This is war, don't look for heart. Dows in the house, dogs in the house, dogs in the house,
0: dogs in the house, Dows in the house, dogs in the house. Hello and welcome to all we hear is purple the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. It's been a couple minutes. There hasn't been any football, but now there's spring practice. Gaby, what have you been doing for the last, I don't know, three months or whatever since the last time we were on here?
1: Um, well, okay. First I did some standup and then I didn't. <laughs> and then I made a bunch of dumb UW softball memes and then they hit a rough patch and I was like, Nope just ride good vibes and don't live tweet every single out. And then, <laughs> uh, and then I, then I played uh, like kind of a lot of hockey and then I barfed actually, no, I barfed before that. And then I'm, uh, and then Was I'm it on the ice. No, I'm here. No, I've never barfed on the ice. I will. I have gone off the ice or I have gotten off the ice and then, or no, I've gone on the ice and then been like, Nope, turned around. <laughs> um, this time it was right before. My stomach is garbage, so if anyone, if you're ever around me and you're like, "any," you, I I barf. Um, I'm not contagious or anything. It's just like my <laughs> my body's just like let's expel some acid. <laughs> so sorry, I didn't expect to be talking about the my digestive tract this early in the podcast. I'm sorry for everyone who had to have that go through their ears but it's i tried to do now. my
0: best to naturally transition us from one topic to another but i have got Sorry. nothing to get us onto the start of the football topics and uh, namely the quarterback battle oh, um, oh there we go which has nothing to do with expelling like acid i i ran through all of the acid quarterback references in my brain got nothing and just moved us along
1: you could say it's um, the opposite of ice in your veins yeah acid I guess. in your esophagus <laughs>
0: uh Okay. That works.
1: Okay. This is gross. I'm sorry, everyone. I (laughs) think
0: it seemed like for the most part over the last three months, maybe it's just like a convergence of beat writers opinions, but it sounded like Michael Penix was pretty much going to be the first option at quarterback and Sam Heward and Dylan Morris would have to climb a mountain to get over him to start. Uh, Kalen DeBoer at the start of spring practice over the last couple days has said it's an open race. The three of them are competing on equal footing, Of course, he's going to say that. It would be ridiculous for him to say that the two guys who have more eligibility and could transfer if they're not playing um, have no shot to play. And it probably would do some damage to their long-term trust in the coaching staff. Nonetheless, do you buy what uh, DeBoer has been telling the media? And I guess Ryan Grubb has said the same thing, that it's an even race. And if you're handicapping it, what do you think is the likelihood that somebody other than Penix starts game one in the fall?
1: Um, Well, I think there's like, kind of a difference between it's an open battle and it's an even likelihood of each guy getting it because I, de- I think I, be- I definitely I think believe him that it is a legitimate open battle but I think within those everyone given the same opportunities I think it's still fair to say that Penix is most likely to you know to to come away on top of that I do think it'll be interesting though to see I think Morris might be might be s- s- so screwed over from or like developmentally from two years of or three years two years one year not the year but the two years of jimmy lake and john don that i i think he might be kind of beyond saving at least in the short term like i still think he could have a decent um college career but i think that might have to be elsewhere um i think it will be interesting though to see Sam Heward in an offense that isn't as the French say dog shit just to just to see his evolution like I don't necessarily think he's like super highly likely to get the job although that's kind of a stupid thing for me to say this early in with like really no insight um but I just think it'll be interesting to see that development over the course of the spring and fall but yeah I, I think assuming Penix is healthy which is always really hard to say about knees um especially multiple knees um because those things arms, are scary yeah did he have a shoulder everything else was it two knees and a shoulder
0: I think that's right yeah that's
1: enough joints that I would have given up um, yeah. but, but but I mean you know we all saw him play in Indiana when DeBoer was the offensive coordinator there and like that was awesome so yeah I, I think it's fair to give him a slight edge even if all three of them have you know an equal opportunity
0: yeah I think you can you you want to at least see if what you're saying about Morris is true if if, is there some real underlying problems with his development that are irredeemable or is there is this something we could turn around like are these a few bad habits that he picked up and he can be a totally different player quickly Um, we saw a pretty solid upside his freshman year I thought and I you know it's kind of what you were saying that he, he probably needs reps and really good coaching to come back from where he is. And those are two things that are going to be hard to come by in the same place because the teams with really good coaches can't really afford a reclamation project. And the teams that can give him playing time uh, probably aren't the ones at the top of the heap with the best coaches. It's not to yeah. say it's, it's hopeless, but I don't think, you know, we want to throw somebody out there trial by fire and see if they can kind of reclaim past, not even glory, but moderate success. It'd be yeah. Challenging. It-
1: And I think like, like, uh, you know, obviously when you look at the three of them and this has been hammered over, like over and over and over again, like everyone knows this, but um, that he, you know, obviously has the least, the least exciting, like physical attributes. So, you know, that's already, you're already handicapped quote unquote in that sense. And then you put like having those developmental, pretty much taking steps backwards, um, and you see that, that, that yeah, yeah, he clearly is is at a disadvantage. Um, I think I think people sh- shout on him too much. <laughs> um, you know, he wasn't good last year, like point blank. But I, I really don't think anyone could have been. Um, but, yeah, I just think – I mean, you see it in, in all sorts of sports all the time. You see it in the NFL all the time that kids who should be good are screwed over because just – you know, coaching staffs in so many sports and so many leagues are just really terrible at developing. And then that screws the actual athlete over like permanently at least ish. So,
0: yeah, I think that's true. And we didn't really talk about Sam Heward, but obviously the upside is there with him that if something clicks and we see it right away, uh, or alternately, like you mentioned, Michael Penix has more injury problems, which almost seems more likely than not based on his history, that I'm still excited about Heward one bad game in a bad offense definitely isn't going to like change my long-term opinion of him. And I I also think this type of offense where you give him solid play design, lots of chances to show off his arm and fairly simple reads is probably a good way to bring him along. Uh, He probably doesn't have the mobility that it seems like they would ideally have in the offensive system they're bringing in, but it also seems like that's kind of more of a, uh, privilege or, a uh, uh, icing on the cake rather than a fundamental piece of what they require their quarterbacks to do. While we're talking about running, uh, there was some running happening on campus this week at the UW pro day. Although now that I, I have, I think done a slightly better transition than the esophageal acid <laughs> one, um, nobody actually ran a 40 except for Kamari pleasant, who kind of like fell down and got back up and finished it in five and a half minutes or something, but still faster uh, than me, the thing that, yeah, no kidding. Me too. The thing that came out of pro day that kind of stood out to me the most was that they asked everybody who was there outgoing Huskies, who's next in line to break out, uh, on the team. And I, at least Trent McDuffie, Kyler Gordon and Kate Otten all listed, uh, Mish Powell, Michelle Powell, mm-hmm. the, uh, probably our number one returning cornerback now, who's a former walk-on as the top breakout player on the team. So do you buy that and if it's legit what does that mean for the rest of the team?
1: Yeah, I buy that. Um I think I mean I think he's he, he I'll be, you know, of course he was a walk on, but he's kind of like that Miles Bryant style like walk on with an asterisk on it where it's like, you know, he was taken as a walk on but with a clear like, you know, opportunity to get to to earn a scholarship. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at right now, I forget exactly what his offers were. I remember he had some, uh, you know, and he, it's not like he was some nobody walk on. So I think between what we've come used to seeing, obviously under different staffs, but you know, whatever. Um, and, and his background, I, I think that's definitely um, believable, especially because, you know, he had been with the second team in the past and had played, you know, had, had come up during practice reports quite frequently in the past. Um, So yeah, I don't see any reason why that has to be not um, plausible.
0: Yeah. The thing with him, and this is not just true about him, but about many players is that there are different development trajectories, obviously Um, you know, some players, the first time you see them on the field, they're unreal. Like Trent McDuffie stood, stepped onto the field as an all-conference cornerback and never really got much better or worse. He was just always extremely good. Um, there are other players like Kevin King comes to mind. I'm sure there are other examples too, where was a little bit rougher around the edges the first couple of times you saw him and kind of had to develop. Uh, Kyler Gordon also, that's, that's true. Although both of them are just athletic specimens. Uh, Powell's not, he's, he was more just like, he was all right. Uh, He has steps he needs to take. That doesn't mean he can't break out. In fact, if he didn't have steps he needed to take to become a great player, he wouldn't be breaking out. He wouldn't be a candidate (laughs) to break out. He would have already done it. So I I think I I do. The thing that jumped out at me about those quotes was more that Kate Otten listed him Yeah. uh, because hearing two cornerbacks kind of listing their understudy, who's probably fairly friendly with them as a breakout candidate isn't surprising hearing a guy on the other side of the ball who probably doesn't do a ton of drills with him, probably doesn't match up even when they are going 11 on 11, uh, still identify him as somebody with a super high ceiling stands out because he must be doing something in practice. That's really notable.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that's, that's the most, I totally agree. That's the most notable um, mention because I mean, the people that know just how good someone is are the people that constantly are getting, having to deal with them as an opponent. Um, You know, like my, I, I go back to my um, like my reference point for just how good like power five softball players are is like growing up playing against a gal who ended up going to, you know, pitch for Stanford and UW. And like, that's, and when you, when you play against someone, like you really, really understand how good they are on a totally different, at a more operative level, I think, than someone who plays with them on their side. Um, you know, you might be saying the same thing, but, like, you you really get, like, just exactly the concrete reasons why this person um, is a pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> and and so I think, I think you're right. Coming from K-Dot, and that's something that I think is completely, completely true, especially because it's not, you know, it, it's not like he's just another guy on UW on the other side of the ball. It's like who the dude who is UW's best or one of their best passing game targets in the last, you know, two, three years. So
0: agreed. Yeah. He caught like three of the five passes we threw. Yeah. Um, I know. As I was
1: saying that, I was like, that the might best be passing easy game to refute target here just, yeah,
0: <laughs> just like as a concept. Most yeah. peaceful Mi- Middle Eastern oil protectorate, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the we were talking before we started recording about spring practice generally, and I think we both kind of agree that this time of year it's kind of like babysitter rules it's like just try not to break anything, mm-hmm. and we've already seen a little bit I, a lot of this predates the the practices but there are have already been quite a few injuries or at least n- news coming out about injuries, um, really focused on the running back room. Uh, down to three players right now, or arguably two, because it's just before we started recording, it sounded like Caleb Berry now has COVID. So we might be down to, uh, I think it's just Sam Adams and the transfer Aaron Dumas at running back and the converted quarterback, the (laughs) very well-trod path of quarterback to running back uh, conversion, uh, Camden Sermon. How So does do you does it matter to you that there are a bunch of what seem to be not major injuries uh, to running backs holding them out in the spring? And assuming that the team looks relatively healthy, how do you think this position is going to shake out when we get to the fall?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of coming at this with a relatively trying. I mean, I'm, I kind of have a little bit of a blank slate, kind of wiping everything from the past uh, couple years clean. Just because I feel like, I mean, obviously, you know, for the first time in a hundred years, we don't have Sean McGrew. And, but it, yeah, just cause there's, you know, a lot of, and, and also the last couple of years, you know, it felt like there was like a lot of stuff where you're thinking, oh, maybe this feels like it's about to happen as far as like the development of a player or like the development of a, of a hierarchy within that room. And then nothing was ever, it felt like yeah. nothing ever was like genuinely, Um, like really established strongly so I feel like when you look at that the last couple years and then you know have a new offense and new coaching staff it feels like this is an area where really everything that we any preconceived notions at least for me that I had or whatever about um, the running back room I'm like all right out with that because none of those were really all held all that strongly anyway so you know with with all the new changes, it's like, yeah, now now we really don't know. Yeah. Um I think it would be fun. I would really like to see personally, I would like to see JV on Sunday. I'd like to see him a bit more. Um him him and Cam Davis. Um I, I know I I know that sunday i mean if you watch his film which i'm sure a lot of people listening to this did he he ran in his high school film you're like you run very strange but it's really
0: entertaining
1: (laughs) and and you know i don't think he's like he's not that straight like he doesn't have that crazy straight line speed but that's completely overrated for running backs anyway um and, and cam davis is another one who i'm interested in and i know people were talking about him to death in the off season last year um for a lot of the reasons that I'm talking about him right now, which is that um, his skill set and what he showed on film as a recruit and for, you know, the little time that he played uh, while preserving his red shirt under coach Pete, like that was really intriguing and very comprehensive. And so I, I it's kind of, again, kind of like the quarterbacks, where it's like, you'd like to see w- what a running back can do when they're not just doing like, some crappy inside zone in the eye formation like I I know speaking of I know that I'm I don't know I'm sure quote-unquote Kalen DeBoer last week in his press conference when he said it's not like we're just going to be doing eye formation or inside zone all day I'm sure he wasn't meaning to take a shot at the last death or am I sure who knows but hearing that was pretty funny so
0: yeah, that didn't seem like a mistake to me. He seems like he's paid I'm sure a not, lot of yeah. attention to um, what he needs to say and do to get fans on his side. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that cynically, but like no, no. Yeah. the alumni relations piece and like plugging himself into the the school's traditions and things like that. It seems like he he wants to be kind of an insider with the program, which is great. Like you, yeah. you want somebody who throws themselves into it that way rather than somebody who looks at it as like just another stop on my world tour or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully this is an example of that. I think, yeah, I I, I don't disagree with any, any of what you said. I thought it was interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about the, uh, size changes later, but we definitely saw a convergence on that, like 195 pound running back that this offense has used in the past, uh, both at Fresno and at Indiana, pretty much everywhere you go. It's like a two back system and they're, they don't go like a thunder lightning type. It's not short yardage game breaker type. It's two guys who are kind of interchangeable, can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, and run between the tackles when they need to. Nobody undersized, nobody oversized, whatever. Um, Probably doesn't bode the best for somebody like Caleb Berry, who's very much in that, like, thunder category of, like, a 230-pound running back. Uh, Maybe they'll find a use for him doing something else, but uh, maybe not. I thought it was interesting, too, that they brought in Dumas to presumably fill that need of a guy who could do a bunch of different things as a runner uh, who, who literally caught zero passes at New Mexico. And I think his zero, and I think the other running back they had caught like three for the year is just not something that they did. Uh, but I guess the, the coaching staff, you wouldn't bring in somebody with three years of eligibility remaining, uh, expecting them to just like not fit with what you're trying to do or, or expecting them to not play, especially in a, a, super deep running back room. So, uh, they must like something they see with Dumas makes me think he's probably going to get a good chance to play. And Davis just seems to fit the profile of what that team, what that coaching staff has liked to do. Um, what we're still talking about injuries. Let's talk about one notable one on the other side of the ball. And that's Eddie Olafosho. There were rumors that he had some kind of unspecified injury for, uh, months, I guess going back a few months. Uh, something happening in training. They haven't said what kind of injury, what body part. It's not like the hockey upper body, lower body injury designation. He's it's just a mystery injury. Uh, but they have said he's going to miss some games in the fall. Um, that is very vague, but that makes me feel like he's probably not going to play a whole lot this year inside linebacker was already pretty thin. Uh, how do you feel hearing about Eddie, U missing another half of a season?
1: Uh, yeah, not, not great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, this is like, you know, even before this, it was kind of a, oh, thank God they brought in Cam Bright from yeah. Pitt. And now it's like, thank God they brought in yeah. Cam
0: Bright. Well, it, and kind of mentally, he's like the security blanket for both uh, Sermon leaving and for Ulofosho getting hurt. So it's like, oh, well, we'll survive. We still have Bright coming in. But he's yeah. not, he can't cover for both of them. He can't Knock play both wood. inside linebacker spots. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be a, an issue. Maybe King, the the uh, junior college transfer, is more ready to play in the middle of the field than than we hope. But because Hopefully, something but along the line is going to be needed,
1: two hundred and three pounds <laughs> per go Huskies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. Obviously, you're like, okay, now you really need. You're like uh, uh, Carson Bruner to take that step from being pretty good, although he kind of lagged the second half of the season to like one of the guys. Um, and then of course, you know, either Daniel Haimuli or Tubotala, because other, I mean, there's no other, there's no, really, there's no way around it. Like you are very thin period, but you can be in this, you know, in this scenario, if, if like Haimoli and, and Bruner can solidify themselves, then it's like, okay, we're really thin. We have no depth, but at least we have a decent like a uh, bar just Mm -hmm. without that depth, but if not, uh, not, not great. Yeah. On
0: every level. I mean, it's, it's a position where you have to rotate within games. It's very easy to get banged up players who have histories of getting banged up here and there. Um, yeah, it's, it's scary. If there's a Achilles heel that we're seeing already, it seems like that would be it. Let's take a quick break. Uh, listen to some advertisements. I don't know what they're going to be for probably stamps.com and blue apron. And then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more spring football. And as promised, we're going to talk about weight changes.
1: It's the weirdest way you could have said that, but yes, let's.
0: All right. Welcome back. Still talking spring football, all topics related to UW. Uh, One question that's still open, and I know, Gabe, you wrote the preview for our blog on the offensive line, so I'm interested to hear Mm. your thoughts on this, is what's going to happen at left tackle? And presumably, if he's eligible, we'd see another season of Jackson Kirkland. He declared for the draft, had to pull out because he had an injury that basically was going to prevent him from doing any workouts and tank his draft stock. So he's petitioning. He has a year of eligibility left, but he missed the deadline to pull out of um, the, the testing, the draft waters. So he needs a NCAA author, or approval to come back and play another year. Uh, what do you think it means if Kirkland does come back, uh, versus the contingency plan and how good do you feel about the offensive line? If we don't have Kirkland playing left tackle?
1: Um, I, I, I well, so two things, one, I, I think I'm assuming now that, Kirkland I think it's pretty darn likely that he's that that he is gonna get that reinstated so I'm kind of moving forward with not I don't want to say the that assumption because that sounds too too certain but um you know one step below assumption otherwise I I think I still feel pretty all right about it just because uh for as much as the offensive line sucked the last couple years scott huff was good at one th- if scott huff was good at one thing it was recruiting so if there really is like such a they're kind of like the opposite of the linebackers except for um in this situation we're thinking of the linebackers as good but thin even though they are not necessarily they're probably not uh they're just thin um where you just have re- i I don't want to call it a log jam but uh, you just have a crap load of guys that are mo- half proven ish, half not. And and especially with the way that the line under Jimmy Lake, the positions that guys were put at was kind of unconventional in some ways. Um what he did with the guards especially um and putting guys like Kern and Fountain, who granted have the, the skill set to be who have been tackles when they were, but also don't necessarily have that kind of prototypical body type. Um, But I I think it's, it's kind of, I I cut kind of am dividing people, the non, non Kirkland's um, potential tackle candidates. There's, I feel like a couple, a few different categories that they fall into. There's guys like Fountainoo and um, Kern who, who have, you know, that experience, albeit, in an unconventional context um, who who could also very easily be moved inside and probably would have in many offenses. Um, and then you have some guys who are – and it, then you have you know, a guy like Mateo Mele who has been, I think, a very reliable kind of sixth lineman that I would be – for now anyway, like uh, from what I've seen from him, I would not be unhappy with him. Um, you know, if he were to win, win a job over there. Um, and then I think, uh, and then, you know, we saw, we've seen Bane and Valu quite, quite a bit with, with mixed, you know, sometimes great, sometimes not uh, results. Um, and then you have kind of the guys that are those prototypical, pr- prototypical, like tackle development, where they're those kids that are in high school are like pretty dang lanky, but just have those really long frames like Roger Rosengarten and Robert Wersh and uh, Samuel, um, Samuel Peacock. Yeah. Um, and and those guys are for the most part at least like with Peacock and Wersh probably at least still need another, you know, probably another bit more of time to with the um, strength and conditioning program. Cause Wersh is still 275, which is doable, but at six, six, <laughs> a little bit little bit skinny for that position. Um, Rosengarten and Peacock are both 285, um, which, you know, you could probably get up to a more ideal, you know, add 10 pounds or whatever by the by the start of the season. Um, and those guys I think are really interesting, especially Rosengarten because they are such prototypes. Um, and Rosengarten also was like, he was highly recruited for a reason. So I think he he's kind of like the guy who I'm keeping an eye on as far as if he really, you know, if he earns that spot, things i feel like are looking quite good um because if he does he or er, you know earned it over a lot of other dudes and is exactly what you'd look for um and then also so it's kind of between him in my mind who who i'm most intrigued by and then i think melee me, melee uh, melee is kind of a satisfactory fallback as well as um Foutenau and kern but i feel like those two are I wouldn't be shocked if they're moved inside, but I've, I've been decently happy given the crappy circumstances of like what the line was asked to do and how they were coached. Not very well, uh, <laughs> the last couple of years. Um, and in that system, like I, I would be, I'm interested to see what, how where those two end up and how they end up in those places. Um, so yeah, that is my answer. And it was very long. Sorry at the end. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's
0: interesting. I, and it's more insightful than uh, my comment that every time I hear Roger Rosengarten's name, it makes me think of Rookie of the Year, the movie where the kid is named, whatever he's named, and they keep calling, they screw up his name every time and call him Rosenbeg or in Uh yeah it's, yeah, it's a more insightful comment Fair? than that. I think uh, Kern moving back from the outside to the inside would be, very interesting. Cause it's, you don't usually see somebody with that, who's that entrenched, but from his like body type and his physical skills, it would make sense mm-hmm. to kind of simplify the game for him a little bit and just say like, go knock somebody over. And, and there are other interesting options on the outside, especially yeah. if, uh, Rosengarten. Garden. Does show his like that he's ready to to take a more featured role there. So I, I think that would be fun to see. And yeah. I, you kind of touched on this, but it's another thing I, I wanted to. I mentioned earlier we're going to talk about some of the weight changes, and I think is interesting to see a lot of the offensive linemen, particularly the tackles, kind of converging in that like two ninety 290 to two ninety five range. It definitely seems like there's a plan uh, to have them a little bit lighter, uh, probably a little bit more mobile. We talked to Coach B last year a couple of times, and one of the things he hammered on was how we recruited a bunch of uh, mobile, athletic, versatile offensive linemen and then asked them to just kind of stand still and push guys over, which was, you know, a defensible strategy, but just not a good optimization of the resources at hand. So using these guys and playing to their strengths and the weights indicate that. I think there have been some coaching comments about uh, getting them. To you know, moving around a little bit more and, and getting them blocking in space a little bit more, both encouraging in that regard. Also, some strange things that jumped out about the new published weights. Uh, a couple of you know, we talk about converging. We talked a little bit earlier about the running backs kind of all ending up in that one ninety five area. The offensive tackles around two ninety five ish. One thing that really jumped out at me was that Savell Small's gained 15 pounds to get up, uh, I I think over 260 now and ZTF lost 19 pounds. And I think he's down, down to 241 at this point. And for two guys who at least to my eye profile to be, you know, kind of have similar broad strokes of what their game would look like as pass rushers who can hold up on the edge due to their, Uh, athleticism and physical strength. I was surprised to see them going in opposite directions. Did that say anything to you? Is there something like obvious about like, this is going to help ZTF's draft stock or something that I I am just missing?
1: Uh, no, I, I don't have any one immediate reaction to it other than, Oh yeah, no, I just, (laughs) I think, I think, um, I think it, I think it'll be, I think it's interesting, but I don't have like one conclusion that I'm taking away from it until, you know, we actually see things in action. Yeah. I wish I had a more interesting answer for you, but I don't.
0: (laughs) One other thing I thought was interesting on the defensive line was it seemed like, especially over the last couple of years, this was true under coach Pete, but especially the last couple of years under Lake, it was kind of like, we're okay. Having guys who are defensive linemen, whether they're like a nose tackle or, a three technique or, you know, like we'll play these three man fronts and you can kind of have guys anywhere from, you know, two sixty up to 320 pounds. And we'll find a way somewhere to play you. It seemed like there's more of an emphasis in strength and conditioning on dividing your edge guys from your interior guys. Uh, Finau went from 315 to 266 pounds, which is just mind boggling that he lost, I guess, 49 pounds in one uh, off season. And Noah Nogalu went from 275 to 299. So, you know, basically trading body types, but to even more extreme degree uh, in Finau's case. Seems yeah, see. like he's earmarked to play more outside and Nagalu earmarked to play inside, which I, I just found interesting. Like, I, I, I haven't seen enough of either of them to say, like, this is obviously a good thing or obviously a bad thing. But the schematic idea of delineating between those two functions and training through the whole off season to get there. And even being able to identify players who you haven't coached yet as being like, Nope, you thought you were an inside guy, but you're going to be an outside guy <laughs> now, uh, you know, chicken breast and white rice for you from now on that, 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 that jumped out at me.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm regardless of what, you know, where this goes, I am, I, and I know it's like a cliche to get a new coaching staff and be like, everything's going great. I love this. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. I want to go find I, those I,
0: articles about Jimmy Lake's first spring practice. You're like, we've really got a new energy in here. Yeah. things are so much better than they used to be when we were going to the Rose Bowl.
1: Yeah, there was that. There was that. Um, this is from like eight or nine years ago. Like an EDSBS article that was like everything you're hearing from the winter workouts or whatever during the new coaching staff, and it's like guys are working harder than ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I do. I am. I am cautiously um, encouraged by um, the fact that that there does seem to be like a stronger delineation between like exactly what it is that you're gonna be, you know, instead of just like we got some guys who made them big, <laughs> just go whatever. <laughs> uh, and and then and then I also I, I want more than anything in my life, besides another Husky softball national championship is. I want MJ Ale to turn I will, I so badly want him to be awesome at the defensive line because a the last time we had someone his size or almost his size, excuse me, was Vita Vea. Yeah. So, eh, that was fun, ergo he will be fun too. Um and also he's just like he's he's just he's such a large human being and he's a he was like a boxing champion in Australia when he was like 14 or 15 or whatever. And when you I I, I know it's like when, when guys get changed to a different position, it, it sort of ends up turning into, you know, you don't typically typically that doesn't happen because things are going great um, yeah. at the old desk at the old, you know, um, place where you were. But legitimately, if you think of like that size and that skill set, that's not a bad starting place yeah. <laughs> and just the potential there. And I'm trying to, like, tamper my expectations because, again, you know, that's position changes uh, don't, aren't, don't, yeah. Like, just what I just said, they don't happen because things were going great where you were. But, um, so I really, I really, I want that to work out so bad because it's like, oh, you have violent hands and hopefully you're quick. Oh, and you're gigantic. Please, God, give me this.
0: I. I'm always amazed when position changes work for exactly the reason you were describing that like you spend so much of your life honing these very specific and uh, specialized techniques. And you're just like, Oh, well, now you're going to do the opposite thing. And when guys can actually do that, like John Ross is like, Oh, you're a receiver now. And mm-hmm. you're going to be like the best guy in two decades. Sherman. Uh, yeah. Sherman's, Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there, and then there's some guys who do it in the NFL, which is just even, more yeah. insane like you're it's your full-time job to be the best possible technically at this one thing and like now do something different and be even better at it
1: yeah well and i think i think if there's one reason why i think like this actually could work and i hope people don't listen to this and their their takeaway is like wow she's really trying to talk herself into this
0: but um <laughs> if, if there's a time to talk yourself into like something that's probably not going to work it's march 20th yeah or exactly. and, yeah
1: yeah 100 percent um but i mean it, he didn't start playing football until um, you know moving to the U.S., which I believe he was like fifteen or sixteen. And right, that,
0: that's something with, like what I remember. Yeah. yeah, I remember when we were recruiting him; he was fairly new to football.
1: He was, and he, he was like super raw, obviously. And you know, there's no reason if there's any if there's any circumstances where you can do make do something like this. It's that like it's not like someone someone who had been training for to be a quarterback from the time they're nine. Because the quarterback, because the youth sports industrial complex, especially the quarterback youth industrial complex is deranged. <laughs> it's not like when guys do that and then they're like, well, I have to go be a tight end now. Like now you're, you, you're done. Like you're, unless you're um Davis Mills, Davis Mills, David Sills. I get Davis Mills, David Sills, Davis Mills was Stanford's quarterback. David Sills was the guy who committed to USC under Stark when he was like 12 and then ended up. Yeah. A uh like all American receiver. Um
0: yeah, that's right. At West Virginia. At West Virginia, yeah.
1: Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So other than him, like stuff like that, you're that when that happens, it's a harbinger of Doom. But if it's gonna work out, it's a going from the line, the offensive line, especially in a scenario where it's uh or you know, just the technicality of the offensive line to a you're gigantic and super violent go be an interior lineman where you haven't been playing football that long anyway. So, you know, there's still on tap potential, but again, cautious optimism. I'm not, I don't want to, I know that the odds are variable.
0: Yeah, we've definitely strayed very far from the evidence and uh, are now just wildly prognosticating mm-hmm. uh, and dealing in rumor and innuendo. And that's fine. And that's what you do in spring practice. That's what sports uh, are
1: for, is just yeah. baseless conjecture
0: and so, yeah, now, that, now that we've reached peak baselessness, uh, <laughs> let's get into our recommendations and plug section. Uh, any entertaining non-football things or upcoming shows to plug now that there are, you know, live events in the world?
1: Oh, sharts. I should have thought about this beforehand. Um, This is what happens every time. I'm so, so sorry (laughs) for not ever being prepared. Um, No, I, uh, I have been really bad about, I've been like, you know what? It's been really nice not having to stand up the last two years. So I'll like do two shows in a month and then be like, okay, I'm going to take two months off now. Um, Especially because I just haven't gotten used to the, hashtag grind yet again uh so i don't have anything to go for there oh you know what you can do are there any shows oh 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 i know okay i have two i have two and one of them is our flag means death um on hulu which is reese darby from flight of the concords is the pirate steed bonnet <laughs> and um taika waititi is uh also a creator and is also in it but I'm not going to give away who he is because that would be a spoiler and it's no fun Um, and it also has um Kristen Schall and Leslie Jones um my former semi-boss uh Fred Armisen is in it for a for a little for a couple scenes um and yeah it's just delightful and funny and like kind of in that same wave of of um comedies kind of like Ted Lasso that are coming through that are like funny and charming, but also more, more than that. And not just, you know, that the old school sitcom, that's like funny and no emotional development. Um, And it's also just fun to watch a show about pirates because pirates now that I don't have to worry about them, like I would have to 300 years ago are a wonderful setting for that kind of shenanigans. Um, so that's my actual my thing to watch. Um, and then my other thing that I'm gonna plug. But, sorry, I have to go find remember where when the. you move uh, on
0: from that, I'm just looking at the IMDB page for it now. It's and lovely. I the, love restart Claudia so O'Doherty is one of the funniest people I've ever seen. Uh Wait. Kristen shaw and Nick Kroll both in it. It's I'm oh, yeah. I, I will at least watch Nick it. Nick
1: Kroll is in it. Nick um,
0: Kroll is so funny.
1: I who does she play claudio Darty?
0: I know her from the show Love on Netflix. She plays the roommate of Gillian Jacobs, the Australian huh. woman, and yeah. she's very funny. And also from Comedy Bang Bang, she where might... she plays a recurring guest who uh, only comes on the show when her mother tricks her into thinking she's won a contest to appear in a <laughs> podcast.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So that's great. Um, the other thing that I'm going to shamelessly plug is um, Seattle Women's Hockey Club is having a auction where you can buy things that will go into making me, but more importantly, other people not have to pay so much. Um, I really should have sold that better uh, instead of help save me personally money. Um, But if you go to their Twitter, which is, you'll never believe what their Twitter name is, it's seattle women's hockey club um they have a bunch of posts for um this auction um including like a bunch of they have some some cracking tickets that are um actually don't bid on the cracking tickets because i want them so don't do that uh there's a three-day stay uh that you can bid for for a cabin on lake cushman on the peninsula um that's my lake what my cabin is it your cabin
0: I hope they'll I be rented that that out. Way. Didn't tell me about it.
1: Um, yeah, there's uh, other s- stuff. Oh, you can you can buy you can buy hanging out with Alison Lucan, who is freaking awesome. Um, she's the she's joined like uh, Angie Mentink and Jen Mueller on the like kick ass gals at Root Sports, um, which I love because I grew up with Angie Mentink and Shannon Dreyer, and then later Jen Mueller and um then no whole other generation of, of girls will grow up with her and she's cool um and there's yeah there's just a bunch of bunch of stuff some of it's little and cute and fun like a knitted hat that is actually super cool i kind of want that i'm scrolling through it right now <laughs>
0: <laughs> Like, okay you can bid on the cabin not on the tickets yeah, not on um, the hat
1: yeah don't don't bid on the things that i want um yeah most most of it is is um you know not like super crazy but there's also cool stuff Um, I mean, there's all, it's like all cool stuff, but some of it is like smaller items that you don't have to spend $500 on. In fact, most of it is stuff that you, yes, you listening to this can't afford. Um, Yeah, it's for a good cause because it's a cool community that's inclusive and fun. And sometimes, yeah, okay, I'm going to shut up. Uh, (laughs) So those are my two things. Maybe in um, the future, I'll stop being a lazy, POS and actually uh, start um, working on. Being I'm going to warn you again the, so the I can next, be like, "Hey, come to my show." What? The next What's
0: podcast it? we do will end with plugs, so if you want to start <laughs> preparing for that, I will. Just a I, just a forewarning, uh, spoiler. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll throw in two things quickly. We saw Nate Bargatze at Paramount a few weeks I ago. Am. It was so funny. Um, that engagement is over. Although I think he did five shows here in three nights. Wh- uh, who was his
1: opener? Do you know?
0: Uh, we came in like thirty seconds into the opener set. Didn't catch his name, but he was also very good. Um, what
1: did he look like? I want to know. I don't the, know if he was from Seattle. I, I don't.
0: He was not from Seattle. He was, he he's from LA. He was doing LA. Uh, yeah. based jokes as i recall i don't know maybe somebody will listen to this and remember who opened for forum and can put All it right. in the comments the other thing was a, a book chuck klosterman is an author uh does mostly like nonfiction, kind of social commentary he has a new book out called the 90s it's very readable anybody who like grew up or was alive during that era it's just kind of a fun sentimentality i, I think people are like consumers are getting to the age where they're willing to be nostalgic about the 90s, like the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky, O.J. Simpson shows, you know, like every year there's a new reminiscence about the 90s. Chuck Klosterman, I I am a fan of partially because he grew up near me. He's about, I don't know, probably 10 years older than me, but he was writing for the local Fargo newspaper when I was a kid. Uh, And I remember reading his like garbage, uh, analysis. He would write like restaurant reviews of chicken McNuggets and things like that, and they just let him get away with it because the newspaper was terrible. And now he's one of the better nonfiction authors in the country, and uh, really enjoyed that.
1: Cool. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to sound yep. so enthusiastic. Uh,
0: so let's cut it off there and wrap it up. We'll uh, be back again when there's more football news to talk about. We hope Cody Pickett will be joining us to do that. Uh, we're getting ever closer.
1: We are also wait, I do actually have one plug and that is for because I figured I should include a stand-up thing and I realize it's too late now and I'm sure if no I'm sure everyone's turned it off by the time we've gotten to this. but um Ronnie Chang's um, Speakeasy special is coming to Netflix and I, I only mentioned that I, I I haven't seen him live, but um his opener during this tour uh, was Julie Kim from Vancouver who um, I was opening or I was yeah I was hosting or opening I forget for her shows uh uh in Seattle at Club Comedy uh right before COVID started and and sh- she and I spent the whole weekend coming up with my Instagram handle because I wasn't on Instagram at the time and she was like you need to for just uh, stand-up and I'm like I know you're right um and then COVID hit so it didn't matter um and she's super funny and she vouches for it and so I'm like well if Julie says it's good then than it is so uh yeah so find ronnie's uh netflix special which comes out on april 5th and then go follow her um julie kim comedy on twitter um or instagram because she's awesome so the end and i'm sure zero people are listening to this by the time that i've said that and next time i will be more prepared (laughs) yeah i'm so sorry
0: but uh (laughs) thanks for listening and in the meantime Let's hope we don't get any more injuries and go dogs.
1: Go dogs. I'll be better next time. I <laughs>